Right, Reb Moshe's halacha, you know, very often is cut and dried from the Makaros, which he starts mamish from the Gemara. But in this particular topic, he bases himself on the Marik, and we take it from there. What is the topic? Bedvar malbushim zu. This is the uh, the topic. Malbushin, clothes. And the question is, they're coming from an environment before the war, where they wore long begodim, and now the question is, is there any problem wearing short begotten in America? So the tshuva of Reb Moshe begins with the halacha of the marik. The marik, one of the later Rishonim, in Shoresh Peiches, in his Sefer, Tshuva's Marik, he says that there is no obligation for a Jew to avoid non-Jewish begodim unless the begodim that the goyim wear are begodim of princes. In other words, they do not cover the body properly. This, of course, would be much more nogea to the women. But he also mentions pritzus v'derech gaiva. Pritzus v'derech gaiva. This, by the way, is the Igris Moshe and Yeridea Chelek Aleph Simon Pei Aleph. So Derek Gaiva is an interesting thing. It could be that he associated Pritzus and Gaiva together. It means people who are big shots, they wear certain clothes to show off. By Yisraelim in Higu Shalom and the Yidin Bedavka don't wear such Begodim. Now, Begodim Shal Gaiva, I don't know exactly what he had in mind. But for example, mink coats, would they be included? I don't think so. But that could be Derek Gaiva. I don't know what the Begodim were in the time of the Maharik that he's identifying as Derek Gaiva. But the Reb Moshe does not involve himself in defining that particular term. The Kitzer, the Maharik says that unless it's preaches with Derek Gaiva, then there's no Isur. If the Jew wears the Begad just because the guy wears it also. Apparently, there was no halacha that a Jew has to look unique in his begodim. That when you look at someone and you see those begodim, you say, ah, there goes a Jew. This is the point that the Ma'arik is making very clearly. And he adds, there's another kind of beged that is forbidden to the Jew. So this is very, very fascinating. The Marik said, Pritzis and Deragaiva is only one type of beged to avoid. But there's another beged, which is a particular shape and form and color and insignia, whatever. And that does not have any Malbush purpose. It doesn't make you warm. It doesn't cover you better. 
It's not a nicer material. The only reason the Begit is that way is because they have a custom. It's interesting, custom and costume. They have a custom and there is no rhyme or reason for the custom. Now, that doesn't mean maybe that they may have some reasons, but it's not it's not a reasonable thing. It's a chayk habalushtus. Because when we wear that, we are participating in their chukas hagayim. So the, the, and the argument, as Rabbi Moshe points out, is that obviously, if we wear something that's unreasonable, just to look like the guy, then obviously that's an iser lo chukas hagayim, because there is no other reason that we wear such begod. And he says, Pasakeno Rama Bisimin Kuf Ain Ches. Acharama Nokat Bitam Isu Inyan Hashaini Keshalabi Shahsan Ubaloy Tam Bitsairach. Right? And he says the the uh there there is there is uh, uh an idea here of Chukas Hagoy. Udvarim shall have batola, right? He says the 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 uh, the idea. I wanted to give you an example. Halloween costumes. So, Avada, the Halloween costumes, they, they have a whole structure and a whole idea behind Halloween, which is Baba Mises, and which is for kids to have a good time, I suppose, or people to scare each other. There's no better example for Dabar Shell Hevelustus. You know, dressing up on Purim as a completely a different idea of the idea that a Jew should dress up on Halloween. This is of the second group that the Marik forbids because of that it's something that doesn't have a tam, it's a choik hevel ushtus. And when we wear it, we are acting like the Goyim, we are dressing like the Goyim. So besides the going for trick and treat and all of these other things, which are also chukasagoyim in the activity of it, but the malbush itself is an isur of leisechul b'chukasagoyim. Now, the marik has a kula even in those things which are, interestingly enough, even in those things which are dvarim shall have she'ein tam, if you have a good time to do that, for example, I don't know if the Rabbi Moshe would pass in this la'alocha exactly, but what happens if there is a uh, company that you're part of and the boss is a rather difficult person and the boss wants you to participate uh, in a Halloween party or in a masquerade. Let's take a masquerade, for example. He wants you to, to participate in a masquerade. We're going to have uh, a ball and we're going to have a uh, an event, and everybody has to come in a costume. So that might be considered if you decided to do that on your own, but it could be if the boss asks for it and it's a question of your parnasa, you're not doing it for havelishtus. You're doing it because you want to preserve your your job. So it could be that that's different. He writes, Reb Moshe, V'oid chidesh ma'rik kula she'av be'elu she'hu below ta'am v'tzarech elo l'choyk havelishtus not for any reasonable purpose. And therefore, if it's something that's for the sake of kavod or so on and so forth, that might be different. By the way, 
there's a whole bunch of begodim, and he mentions the doctor's costume, the doctor's malbush. So the doctors wear a certain kind of malbushim they used to wear in those days also, that identifies them and, and, and gives them their status. So it's a, it's a malbush kovay, which is unique to doctors. So if you're a doctor and you're Jewish, the fact that you're wearing that malbush is not going to make you over on chukas hagoy. And I was thinking that that argument is also used, although he doesn't mention this here, for the caps and gowns at graduation. Caps and gowns are also dvarim shoshtus, the hevel. No halocha that you have to wear a gown, no halocha that we have such a cap. Nor is there an Indian to throw the cap up into the air or to turn the tassel from the right to the left or from the left to the right, whatever the minig is. That's chukas hagoyim. But the etzim wearing of the cap and gown, I believe, would be included in the heter of the Marik simply because that's what graduates do. So when you're graduating from an institution, I'm talking about from a secular institution. Now, whether a yeshiva that has a choice should have such a thing, that's I'm not getting involved in, and that's nothing that Reb Moshe was talking about. Because they have a choice, they don't need it. So why should they bedavka have it? If you're in an institution where your graduation uh, requires it, and it's worn because to show that you have finished your course and you got your uh, summa cum laude, whatever it is, that I think is probably included in the heter of the Maharik. That's something that Be'etzim doesn't have any time. In other words, they could have decided that instead of caps and gowns, they, they could wear all kinds of beanies and uh, and, and, and sweatshirts. Other, other, the caps and gowns is how they do it. And that's what you're doing for graduation. So if you're doing it for graduation, you're not doing it to be doimit to the guy. Yeah, I wanted to make a point before we go on, because we're going to hit something which is very fascinating in the, in the Reb Moshe's writings. And I think that uh, it's, it's almost a, bot, a bombshell. But before that, I wanted to discuss a little bit this whole idea of chukos hagoy. The Pasuk says you should not go b'chukos hagoy. What does it mean to go, to walk, to travel b'chukos hagoy? So you'll notice one thing right away. Chukos hagoy does not have a definition in the Torah. It's not like specific Avaidazara things, and we know what Avaida means. So there are four basic Avaidas, and then each Avaidazara has its own unique Avoda. So we know what it is. What is Chukos Hagoy? So the answer is whatever they are. It could be in one country a whole list, and it doesn't exist in another country, and vice versa. It could be at one time there's this Chukos Hagoy. Another time, something else entirely is Chukasakra. It's definitely possible. What's the Tzadashavah? What are we saying? What are we driving at when we say, So in order to understand that, I'd like to bring an analogy. The same phrase and the same idea exactly exists in the positive, just like it exists in the negative. The very beginning of the parsha it says, in And you know, there's a very famous Rashi. Rashi says, just a moment, what does Bechukosei Telechu mean? That you should follow the precepts of the Torah? It says right afterwards, that's Mitzvah Saitishmeru Vasisa So what is being added by in Bechukosei Telechu? Everybody knows. Rashi says, what's being added is Shetiyu Amelim Batoira. You should strive, you should struggle, you should work very, very hard 
should be mashkia yourself in limud hatayra. It's more than limud hatayra. It's a melim hatayra. Vatayra ato amel kachid darker shaltayra pas b'melach toichal v'chulu v'chulei uvatayra ato amel. So I had two questions on this Rashi about this Rashi. That in Bukhukosai Tailechul cannot mean Shmiras and Mitzvahs, I understand. You know why? Because it says right afterwards, this Mitzvah So this must be something else. But who tells you what it is? We know what it's not. It's not Shmiras and Mitzvahs. Because it says as Mitzvah right afterwards. But how do I know that it's Amelim Batayra? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's giving a massive amount of stocko or doing extraordinary chasodim or whatever. And I have a second question. To whom is the Rebbe Shalom speaking at that moment? In Bechukosai Telechu. That's Mitzvosai Tishmu. Says, V'nasati Gishmechem Be'itam Be'itzasada Yitein Piryo. He's speaking to all of Klau Yisrael Mamish. Men, women, and children. So I don't understand. How could you say about the women, Shetiyu Amelim Batayra? So I believe that one question answers the other. The idea is mitzvah saitishmu is that you should do the specific mitzvahs, taryak mitzvahs, ramach mitzvahs, sasei shasa, mitzvahs loisasa. Yes. But now the question is, is that it? So the Rebbe Shalom says, I want you to know that besides the day-to-day and everything that you have to do to fulfill the precepts of the Torah, to follow the Shulchan Aruch, Yiddishkeit is a hashkofa. Yiddishkeit, the Rav used to love this world, is a Welt Anschauung. It's a worldview. It's an awareness and a consciousness and a perception that covers the gamut of human experience as a Jew. A Jew looks at things differently. He thinks about things differently. His attitudes and his values are different. What's your value system? That's the question. So the Rebbe Shalom says to them, if you are going to follow my precepts, you're going to go b'chukosai. Your value system is all geared and headed in one direction. That the whole project is amelim batayra. Which means, in other words, that the men, the women, and the children have to be inspired and have to walk that particular journey, to travel that path, from birth until the end, that the Torah is the central thing in my life. <laughs> That's why, by the way, it's just as important for the women. It's just as important for the women. Because if the woman, what did Rav Aaron Cutler say very famously? If it's not for the Beis Yaakov, there would be no Lakewood. That's it in a nutshell. You open up the Gemara, Masachas Ksubestav Samach Beis, on the Beis, the whole Shtuk of Gemara there, Samach Gimel if you have it right there. And when we speak about women waiting for their children, we don't just mean that they're waiting at the bus stop every single day. We mean that they're waiting for their husbands to come home after 12 years of learning. The point is that what the Chukosai Teilechu that's not in Es Mitzvah Saitishmeru 
It's not the technique and the technicalities. It's the worldview. And the worldview, the main theme, the main point of the worldview is Amelim Bataila. Now I want to take that idea as an analogy because the language is exactly the same. Right? What does it say over there? Below Selchu Bechukos Hagoi. So the Telechu and the Chukos, they go together. How do you go Bechukos Hagoi? You share his worldview. You share his worldview. Ultimately, the reason that Chukos Hagoyim does not have a particular detail that's fixed and standardized in all societies and at all times, it can't because society changes. But the guy doesn't think the way I do. Like Reb Moshe once said, the same Reb Moshe is a Chayna So he said probably more than once, but he once said that I have no Goyesha thoughts in me because I've never looked at a Goyesha book. He's never read a Goyesha newspaper. It's incredible. He doesn't have any Goyesha ideas in him. Whatever he thinks and he knows, not just the the chaymer, not just the knowledge of Shas my heart, but his worldview, his understanding of things that comes, where does it come from? It comes from his mother's milk and it comes from the Torah because he doesn't have anything else. Not too many people can say that today. I remember Ramadcha Pagramansky who didn't live long enough to be considered the God Lador of many generations. Interestingly, he survived the Kovna Ghetto, he survived Hitler, he ended up in France, but he didn't live long. And so we don't have from him. But someone told me that he was once asked, because he was this incredible Talmud Chacham, massive tzaddik, nizer bekalot v'chamura to a fault. I mean, he knew Kalatai Rakula, he was an unbelievable genius, but he was also a tremendous tzaddik. So here's a person to go to for Das Torah. So someone once asked him what we call today Das Torah, and he, he, he demurred. He refused. And you know why? He gave a reason. He gave an explanation. He said, if you want Das Torah, you have to go to Reb Baruch Ber Kamenitzer, the Rosh Hashiv of Kamenitzer, Baruch Ber Leibovitz. From him, you'll get Das Torah. But for me, I don't know. What about all of his Torah, his learning, his tzitkos? He says, when he was young, he wasn't exactly about tshuva, but he was a modern fellow in Poland. You know, that's not the same as a modern fellow here exactly, but he was a modern fellow. Somebody talked him into going to the yeshiva of Kalman from there to Tells, and the rest is history. But he read a lot of books, and he was an incredible genius. He remembered them all. He says, I don't know 1,000%. If the thought that I have and the explanation that I have and the value that I have and the attitude I have is completely unadulterated, it's completely pure. For that, you have to go to the Birka Shemur. The point that I'm trying to make is this. Is that we absorb the values and the attitudes of the Goy. In Malbush, it's very fascinating. You know, there's something called style and it changes every month to Kandanishtik. So some say because the industry has to make money. If they gave you begodim and the same begodim were okay for forever, you'd never change and you'd never buy another begot until it wore out completely. 
like this, you have to buy. I mean, a different pair of shoes. Now it's long, now it's short, now it's gold, now it's green. I mean, they keep you going. And meanwhile, you buy and buy and buy and buy, especially women's clothing. But the men have that also. Sometimes the tie is narrow and sometimes the tie is wide for no reason. That's also a, a double shall have to be honest with you. Now, if a person wears it because he doesn't want to look funny, maybe that's a heter, I don't know. But the point is that style in and of itself is not chukas hagoy. Marketing is not chukas hagoy. The, the different begodim is not determined because I'm this particular kind of guy or I believe in that kind of avodah doesn't have anything to do with it. And it's not even because I'm religious versus secular or secular versus religious. It has a life of its own. The malbushim are very interesting, but there are some malbushim that are uniquely chukasagari, not too many. And when you have that and you wear that, it's because you've owned up, you've bought into, you've bought into a Goyesha way of thinking. I often wonder to myself, you know, people have these t-shirts that have messages on them. And there are a lot of Yidin that wear these t-shirts that, t-shirts that have messages on them. And I don't know, maybe they got it cheap, you know, <laughs> they were looking for a bargain. Oh, but you have to understand that sometimes it's not a message, it's like a, you know, it says Harvard, class of whatever. I don't know what that is exactly. I don't think that's a begat shel shtus vehevel. But, it, but it, it, it already, wearing certain begodim, you know, you're part of a society, you're part of a world that's not our world. That's why I understand those people who are insistent, dafka, which Rav Moshe does not agree with in this tshuva at all, that they should dafka wear the long begodim is because they felt that that is the trist. It's not because of Chukas Hagoyim. Absolutely not. I don't know if anyone could make the case and deny what Reb Moshe just said, because it's based on the Marik, and that's it, the Marik and the Ramah. It's not because Chukas Hagoyim is in the Malbush. It's because when I dressed as a Jew, I have created a Mechitza. A Mechitza shall barzel, really, to a great extent between myself and the rest of the world. And it's very interesting. What's happened lately is that that Malbush still does not stand in the way of the Chukas Hagoy because we have the internet. The internet allowed the person with the Malbush, Bechadri Chadorim, to be in the world. And ultimately, I think that the Pshad of besides the details, the specifics, like which kinds of malbush and which not. It's ultimately your value system. What's important to you? What matters? What's your hashkaf? So there's the chukosei teleichu, there's This is what I wanted to suggest. But here, having said that, so he says, you know, when we wear malbushim, like everybody else. So they become our malbushim also. I mean, in other words, if a person wears a short jacket, that you're saying that this is the way Goyim dress. This is the way Yidin dress also. 
So he writes, Vim Kane Af Lekan to America, Rashoin Lislabish Bibgodim Shalovshim Bekan, the Kavan Shain Isa Klau, the Gamhemloi Nakshabu Mabushe Nochrim Klau, Harehu Kimishanami Bigda Yehudim Shibamokam Echad, Le Bigda Yehudim Shibamokam Achad. There he said it. He says, long in Europe is equal to short in America because here in America, Jews wear short. Now, of course, it's interesting because if you look at it from the perspective that the Hasidic community is a self-contained, self-enclosed community, so then you could say like, you know, no, it's not true. We don't dress short. So, you know, it's very, very interesting. I saw an interesting nazach. But Menashe Klein, in one of his chuvas about this topic, he says, you know, even if you wear a beggar of a guy, change the buttons. What he means is that by the goyim, I mean, regular begodim, they button from the left to the right, the left over the right. He says, you should change the buttons and button from the right over the left, the way we do, the way Jews do it, the way the Hasidim do it. It's very, very interesting. He says that Rabbi doesn't suggest it. Rabbi Asher Klein is suggesting it. Then he writes, "Va'ach she big day hamokam shabo misham, hoyu laezes zihirus yisera, k'mo mekomo shalolov shel a big day meshi mitzad chashashatnes." He says there are certain places that they didn't wear woolen garments at all. They were made up of other materials because they were very much afraid that the garments of wool will be interwoven with linen. And because of that, they avoided linen, they avoided the uh, wool altogether. It says that might be one reason. The Hasidim used to wear long begodim. It's an extra measure of tzniyas, right? So he can take upon himself the coolest of the mokum that he arrived at. In other words, if it's not an osir thing, it's a muta thing. And if it's a muta thing, there's no reason to exclude it, to reject it. It's very interesting. What did Rabbi Moshe himself wear? He wore a long beggar because this is where he came from. And this was the Itztola de Rabbana. And of course, Rabbi David, Zechron Lebracha, who just was Nifter, just had his Levaya. In fact, I was Menachem Ovel this morning to the family. He wore famously a short beggar, Bedafka. And, and this was important to him. He, he did not want to be identified. He didn't want to be segregated. He didn't want, because he felt it was covered and he eschewed all manner of covered. Very fascinating. By the way, someone came over to me at the end of the just as I was heading out the door, and he says to me, Rabbi Khan, I heard, I want to know if it's true, that when you Masada Kedushin and Rabbi David was there, that you would give over the Seder Kedushin to Rabbi David. I said, yes, it's absolutely true. It happened a number of times. I told him that it's not just because I was Mechabed Rabbi David. It was because this was my Masaira. So he was saying, what, what do you mean? He says, because my Rebbe, was always Mechabed Reb Moshe. 
when they were together at a chasana, and Rav Soloveitchik, when, when he was the Masada Kedushin, he in fact always deferred to Rav Moshe. And he asked Rav Moshe to come up and make the brachas. And what's very interesting about it is my chasana was exactly that what happened. We had Rav Moshe, we had the Rav. I asked the Rav to be my Masada Kedushin. And he was Hashem Maskim. And he came and he saw Rav Moshe. So, so Rav Moshe, kum taruf, yit machen de brachas. And Rav Moshe, of course, said, Rabbi yes, I took the Masada Kedushin. And I imagine this is what happened invariably, but this is what I heard with my own ears. Ich bin da Masada Kedushin. Ich bin Masada de Kedushin. <laughs> he would say, I'm Masader, that you should be the one who makes the brachas. I suspect, and this I never discussed with the Rav, so I don't know, but I have a suspicion. You know, there's the, the, there's the word they used to call uh, the, the Rav, the Rav, Rav Soloveitchik, they called him the Rav, and Rav Moshe, they used to call the Rosh Hashiva. And people used to say that that's interesting because if, if anyone is the Rav, he was the Rav of the whole world. Certainly the Rav of all of America was Rav Moshe. I mean, Igris Moshe, all of his Pesachim, nobody budges without his Pesachim today. And the Rav used to pass when Shai was left and right also, but he wasn't considered the Pesach of the Dar. And he was definitely the Rosh Hashiva. In terms of his, there was no Magad Shia like that in the whole world. So he was called the Rav, and Rav Moshe was called the Rosh Hashiva. But I think getting to the point of the Hasana and the Masada Kedushin, that the Rav had a halachic intuition here. It wasn't just a matter of being mechabit somebody. You know, there's a halacha that I'm not sure, by the way, if this is true about Rav Chaim Kanyevsky, what they say. But they say that he doesn't want to be Masada Kedushin because he's not a Boki, he's not a Yodeya B'tiv Kitten the Kedushin. I had a chashash that the Rav Legabe Reb Moshe only, but Legabe Reb Moshe considered himself not on Reb Moshe's level and so he deferred in the Siddur Kedushin to Reb Moshe. But be that as it may, this is the Maise Shehoya Kachoya. So I was thinking to myself, if the great Rebbe deferred to Reb Moshe, so Rabbi David was, he didn't write Igres Moshe, he didn't write Igres David. And he didn't explain himself too much either. But everybody knows that the whole world considered him the Pesach of all of America and maybe one of the Pesach Ador. And every difficult question came to him. And he answered them. And he answered them with strength. He answered them with confidence, with security. And he was an extraordinarily honest man. So there was no monkey business. There's no make-believe. There's no, uh, you know, saying, yeah, well, I'll tell them something. They don't know anything one way or the other. So whatever I say, it'll be all right. If he didn't know, he would say he doesn't know. And that didn't happen very often. So if I can give it over to Reb David, it makes perfect sense. And he was certainly more than me. I'm not a Pisic altogether.
So Bikitsa, the Untash Tashura here is that the Beget that Reb David wore was unique to his personality and his attitude towards many things. But clearly, if he would have felt that a Rav is mechuyiv to wear a long Beget to identify himself or in any way, whatever, then he would have, especially since that's what his father did. But he was following his father's psak that in America, there's no problem wearing a short Beget. And he didn't feel that there was a need either mitzad sneers or mitzad any other chashash to wear anything but the short regular jacket that everybody wore. But I wanted to share with you something. And this is very, very fascinating. I mentioned before that I had something uh, to, to, to share with you. That Moshe was asked the question, in Arachayim Chelek Dalit Simen Samach Vov, about a person changing a name from Allah's name to a Jewish name. He writes that even though Goyesha names, Goyesha names, Peter, John, Mike, you know, uh, even even though Mike is from Michael and Alex is from Alexander, but they're you know James and and and, and Paul, you know, there are lots of uh, lots of Jews who are called Paul, Harry, you know. Some of them are Mamish uh, Goyesha names. Some of them are Goyesha from religions. Some of them uh, are some uh, non-Jewish names. So what about those names? So he says a very interesting thing. He writes in that particular tshuva that he thinks it's a Dova Maguna to have, to give a child a non-Jewish name. It's interesting, Bisman Azeh and Frumailam, they don't have two names, a Goyesha name, an English, what's called an English name and a Jewish name. In our time, when we, when we were children, almost everybody had that. You know, one name you write on the birth certificate, another name you give at the bris. Or, or, or at, at your aliyah, if it's a girl. Yikari Shmo Israel. And very often they were very, very different names, not just a paraphrase of, of the Jewish name. So he writes, what about that? So he says an interesting thing. Mistama, he says, this is his analysis of the situation, of the historical situation. He says, Mistama, there was a tkufa when somebody tried to introduce a non-Jewish name and there was a lot of reaction, a lot of negativity. But as they became more and more indigenous to that particular country, whether it was Germany or France or England or whatever, Poland, Russia, Sfardim, uh, Arabic names, he says, they started adopting these names and it became something that you just didn't fight about anymore because it was foul. But then they became Jewish names. So he says, for example, Vidal. The Baal Magid Mishnah, his name was Vidal. It doesn't have another name. And you have many names in Danchik Nesses Abdul and Pekayavis. You have... Uh, 
Atignus Yusoko, and then the Rishonim, you have Clonimus Ben Clonimus, and you have many, many other such names. Dona Grazia. Every one of these names has a meaning. Bedar Klau, not always, but Bedar Klau has a name, has a meaning. And the meanings are sometimes because these Gaisha words in the Gaisha language that it comes from has a meaning. Now it's very interesting. He argues about Vidal. And because somebody told him that Vidal means Chayim in French. And he says, but it's not a French word. I don't know who's informing him and who's discussing this with him because Vidal, of course, does mean uh, life, you know, and it is the equivalent of Chayim. And it's like vitality. And there are other words that are Bedaimelazeh that are also meaning life. But whatever it is, you can't say that the name is a Goyesha name once you have generations of Jews using these names. And that's, of course, you have Rabbeinu Petr, who was one of the Balei, the Chachmei Ashkenaz, who are in the Balei Atoisvis, that are mentioned, and so on and so forth. So he says, a very interesting thing, what was the particular case over here? So he writes that it's a kibbut avayim, if you stick to the name that the parent was called, if that in fact was their name, Hagam, that it's a Loaz name, it's a shame Laz. And he should write it and he should use it below Shinui. And this is what he writes. The baby's not born yet, and he was asking Rabbi Moshe about giving it a name. I get these kind of questions every month to Gondonishtik. If, if it's a girl, tikra oisa al shem imcha aleha shalom. But then he adds an interesting thing. He says, your mother died young and shaloi kederach stam mesin. He says, it's kedai likroi mishem is imcha rak shem gittel. Her name is gittel drezel. Kishem drezel by safas hatalis lo yodu ali eza shemu v'loi shum muvan. He doesn't know where the name drezel comes from. But in any case, you could call her Gittel only because when she died under these uh, horrible circumstances as a young woman, it's not Kedai to give the full name because you get the full mazel. And then he says, you should be Moisif, Oit Shem, Mishemis, Hatzit Kaniyos, Shebekroi, that are in the Psukim of the Torah, Shledati Hayotayv, Imev Shebeshem Chana, Tetikra Gittel Chana. I don't know what kind of Ruach HaKodesh possessed him that he should have pick on the name Chana, but he says, I think you should call her Chana. So call her Gittel Chana, Gittel from her name, Gittel Drezel, and you don't give the full name. But Gittel, the fact that it's not a Jewish name, it's not a name in Tanakh, it's not a reason not to give. He says, you should give it because that was the name of your mother. And then he goes into a lot of other names, which is very fascinating, Fagel and Sipoira and this and that. And then he speaks about names that are in Aramaic, like Rav Papa, Rav Zvid, Mar Zutra, Mar Kishisha, Mar Yanuka, and on and on. And most of the Goinim, Achoyir, Natranoi, and so on. And then he says that it could be Targum language is different because they were, in fact, uh, using a language which Chazal itself 
considers on a different par than all languages. Is Targum Unklus is an Aramis, a Kaddish is an Aramis, Lachain Ulai Gama Shemus Adifi. Maybe those Shemus are better. Interesting. Then he writes a very, very important paragraph, which he never said definitively, but it's a suggestion. And I'd like to read it word for word. Except for Shevet Levi, because Shevet Levi by Shevet Levi in the bracha of Moshe Rabbeinu bebirchas Moshe in v'zayis habracha. Ba'av shepirish Rashi al elu shenolde ba'midbar ha'yozeh gam b'mitzrayim. But nevertheless, it was also in Mitzrayim k'mefurish b'medrashos. So the Levi was mild themselves, but Klal Yisrael was not mild themselves all those years that they were in Mitzrayim, and they was many of them worshipped by the Zorah, and it was a very very sorry state. So it could be. And because there wasn't that much of a difference in Shmir Samitzvahs between them, because the same Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noyach, and between them and the and the rest of the of the Goyim, and they gave that up too, if they wouldn't have looked different, there wouldn't have been anyone to take up because they would have been totally Egyptian. Don't forget, it says Malamid Shoi Yisrael Mitzuyonim Shom. They were unique, they were different. They lived in Eretz Goshen for that reason also. And they also spoke Lashon Kodesh. So therefore, in the Geula, there was Zoycha to the Geula, it means that there was someone to be magi, to be goyal, you know, to take out, because otherwise they would have assimilated completely. Now that we have a whole Torah and we have Limura Torah and we have all of these unique mitzvahs, <coughs> excuse me, we have all these unique mitzvahs. It's not necessary anymore. And that's why they weren't makbid if the name was not a Jewish name. Because all of these milas that a person has that remain unique, what I was speaking about before, so before Sinai, they needed that and they needed that identification. But after Sinai, the Torah is their identification. The Yiddishkeit is their identification. 
So it didn't matter. And that's what he says. And then he writes, and this is very, very classic for Reb Moshe. And it doesn't happen often. Reb Moshe doesn't give opinions. He gives psak. So he writes here, however, even though what I just said, which is a bombshell, that this whole idea is unique to Kodamat and Torah, if the Mat and Torah, the Jews are unique enough without it. He says, this is Mistaber, but Mistafina Loma is But because I don't have any proof to my thesis, I'm really afraid to say it. Now, the Maisi is afraid to say it, but he wrote it anyhow, because he says, there is such a Swara. What he's driving at is, if you see, that something as essential as a name, that they weren't so mapped. It must be a reason. It isn't just simply that they succumb to the society around them. That seems to be a very, very uh, unpleasant thought, that they just couldn't resist it. He says it must be that it's not so critical. So why? What happened to the Zuchus of Leishinu Hashemam That's it. That's it, because that was Kaidamat and Torah. So Rav Moshe says the same thing about language. Rav Moshe has another tshuva in Chelek Hayavarachayim Simin Yud, also about names. But he speaks about language, and he says that you know it's very interesting. The Rambam wrote several of his major works in Arabic. And Reb Moshe gives a reason why he wrote the Mishnah Torah in Lashon Kodesh, because since it's halachas, he wanted it to be in the language of the Mishnah, which is Lashon Kodesh. And it's true, the Rambam's language is very similar to Mishnaic language. But the rest of it he wrote in Hebrew letters, but Arabic language. The Targum of Reb Sad Yagon, which recently I've been using a lot, uh, because I, I got an edition that just came out not so long ago. Somebody gave it to me, Bamatona, so I'm using it. It's Arabic in Hebrew letters, but it's Arabic. And the same thing is true about the Chavis Alvavis and the Marinavuchim in Arabic. It was translated. And the same thing is true not just the Arabic language. He says a very interesting thing. We don't have recordings. I wish we did. What was going on in the yeshiva of the Bali Atosfis or in the yeshiva in Germany of the Gedolei, uh, you know, HaPoiskin uh, and the Gedolei HaMinhogim. What language did they speak? So he says that in all the years, in all the Tkufas, they spoke the vernacular. They spoke the language of the people. That's why there's so much Greek in the Torah, in Torah Shabbat. Massive amount of Greek. And a smattering of Latin. Because the Romans, they spoke Greek and, and, and the whole culture was a Greek culture. And in certain communities, they forgot altogether. The more Hellenized they were, the more they spoke Greek exclusively. So in Alexandria of Mitzrayim, they didn't know a word of Hebrew. But even the people who did know Hebrew, you know, they knew the Hebrew from Tanakh. They stopped speaking Hebrew. The Ramam in the Pirsha Mishnah, says Reb Moshe, writes that words that are not from Tanakh, we lost most of them because we don't speak Lashon Kodesh. We don't speak Hebrew. 
That's what the Rambam said. So the idea that you're learning in English today is not a new idea, according to Reb Moshe. Because wherever they were, they spoke the language and they mixed in Torah words, Hebrew words. So it's very, very fascinating. The word for the sun is the zun in Yiddish. And that's what we say when we speak Yiddish. What's the word for moon? The levana. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of things like that. So the, you know, the, 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 the language uh, in Hungary, they spoke Hungarian. And those who came to America still speak Hungarian. <laughs> but when we speak in English, we're basically doing what happened in every society. It's a kind of assimilation, yes. But this is what happens. Yiddish is not German, but the backbone of Yiddish is German. And if you know Yiddish, especially if you know Yiddish well, you are, you know, with a good vocabulary, you could pass passively, I mean, significantly understand a conversation which is spoken slowly, which is in pure German. And you could read a German newspaper. Because the brunt of it is German. Its structure is German. But there's so much Yiddishkeit in it. And it was written in Hebrew letters. Ladino is the same idea. Judeo-Arabic is the same idea. When Rashi says Belaz and he tells you the French word, he's not talking to Bali Truva. And he's not talking to nincompoops and ignoramuses. He's telling you this is the word because this word you will understand. He's talking to everybody. Now, of course, we don't speak in old French. And so therefore the balas has to be translated. It doesn't help us much. But in his time, it was very helpful to very many people. So Reb Moshe, when he speaks about Shiloshinu Hashman Vashlishoinam, so it's very, very fascinating. This is the point that I'm trying to make. Shmam, you can have a totally Goyish name, Jason. Jason is not a Jewish name. It will never be a Jewish name, except for the fact that so many Jews use it, which is Reb Moshe's point. After a point, it becomes also a Jewish name, even though they were screaming against it probably at the beginning. This is what he writes. But when it comes to language, they Jewishize the language. They turned the language. I remember I was once asked to speak uh, at a yeshiva out of town, down south. I was there for a Rabbanim convention and the Rosh Yeshiva, that yeshiva discovered that I was there. He asked me to come and speak to the boys, to the Talmudim. But he says, but I want you to speak in Yiddish, not in English. So uh, he felt that my English is too sophisticated, it's too complicated, whatever it is. I said, your Olam knows, knows Yiddish well enough I should speak in Yiddish? That's very rare. I'm delighted to do it. Uh, we're talking about, I don't know, 35 years ago. He says, no, no, no. I don't mean that you should speak in Yiddish. You should speak in English, but the English should be Yiddish. And that said it all. What he meant was, I su- he wants me to speak in a yeshivasha English, not in the king's English. Because that's the language that they're used to, that B'nai Torah speak. And like this, they'll think I'm some professor. The Kitzer, the Unterstuschur is 
that Reb Moshe's idea is fascinating, but he himself is afraid to say, I put my imprimatur on it. What is his idea? That all of these things that are ancillary, and there are gifts that say malbusham. That's only because they needed to be distinct and there wasn't much to make them distinct. But when they have the Torah to make them distinct, they don't need these things critically. So I've had to give this, don't get me wrong. Reb Moshe would be perfectly happy with the Hasidic Shalavush, and Reb Moshe would be perfectly happy with totally Jewish names taken out of Tanakh, and Reb Moshe would certainly be perfectly happy if people spoke pure Lashon Kaidish. He says nobody speaks pure Lashon Kaidish anymore. The Hebrew of today is not pure Lashon Kaidish either, by the way. It's sort of like their English. And what's my biggest raya? You ever see Yeshiva light in Eretz Yisrael? When they're speaking to one another, it's a very, very fluid and fluent ivrit. With all the words, pure ivrit. When they daven, it's Ashkenazis. In their learning, they switch from language to language the same words. But if they're saying it in talking to one another, it's ivrit. If they're quoting a Gemara, they're quoting a Mishnah, Mishnah is pure Hebrew. But they'll say it with the accent, not the way they do in Ivrit, on the last syllable, but on the next to the last, like in English or in Yiddish. And I was amazed that I went once uh, many, many years ago to Ponevish to speak to one of my Rebetzin's cousins from the Birka Shmuel's family. And guess what? Not a single one of them knew Yiddish. I was nispoiled a long time ago. Heint? Is that lachas kama v'kama? Except in those circles where the bedavka makbed to speak only in Yiddish. I remember once it was a little Belzer kid that I asked him to take me over to a grocery because he knew the grocery very well. He lived around the corner and I wanted to get a few things. It was right before Shabbos. So finally I tell him, Eifa atzlochiot. So he's looking at me like I don't, like he doesn't know what I want. So I say, Ditella, Ditella, Vuzain and Ditella. Oh, Ditella, they're right over there. So there are people who are Tafka speaking Yiddish to their children and learning in Yiddish, but they're few and far between. Everybody else is Ivrit. But when it comes to the language or davening, Not the Sfardim in the in the Chardalim. I'm talking about the 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 Echta Litvisha, you know. They're still saying but and then they say this is the topic Rav Moshe's idea is fascinating Rav Moshe's psak about the Godim and language and, and name, names is fascinating the next time we will take upon ourselves the next topic of Rav Moshe's Hashkafas Oilam as reflected in his chuvas. Yashka Kacha, thank you, Rebbe. Thank you very much, Rabkan.